You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. This week, we're talking more Kubernetes security with Kubescape, a Kubernetes security scanner. My guest is the Armo CEO and co-founder, Shally Rosen. The people at Armo are the creators of the open source Kubescape project. And in this show, I talk with Shally about its origins and purpose. We also dig into some demos on how their hosted Armo platform extends and automates the features of Kubescape. And all those demos are in the YouTube live show, which is the unedited version of this podcast that you can find a link for in the show notes. If you haven't heard me mention Kubescape before, then I won't bury the lead. I'm a fan of tools like this and specifically of Kubescape, which I use and recommend to my clients. This scanner can scan your YAML manifests of your Kubernetes resources. It can scan your live Kubernetes clusters and it can scan the YAML in your Git repos as well as the images themselves that you're deploying to Kubernetes. As Armo calls it, it's a single pane of glass into your Kubernetes security. And I really think this is the future of all the various security platforms for containers is that they're going to be all bringing these tools together so that you can understand what's going on and the security profiles and risks of your images, of your YAML, and then of the Kubernetes cluster itself. So I'm glad that Shelly came on the show because we had a lot to talk about and we dig into some of the details of their products as well as what we both think developers, DevOps, and security staff should be doing with containers in production with Kubernetes. So please enjoy this episode with Shally Rosen, the CEO of Armo. Hello, DevOps fans, and welcome to the show. My name is Brett. I'm actually excited because we're going to talk about some tools that are one of my favorite tools, actually. We're lucky enough to have on the show today the Armo CEO and co-founder, also the creator of the Kubescape project, Shaoli Rosen. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. So you're calling in from Tel Aviv. This is like, this is the headquarters, right, of Armo? Yes, it's true. And actually, you're maybe not in Tel Aviv, but you're somewhere in Israel. And the the focus of your company has been on Kubernetes the whole time, right? Like Kubernetes security, stuff like that? Yes, that's true. Well, we've been uh, working on Kubernetes security for the past three years. And it took us a lot of experience and to see a lot of things happening in order to get to where we are now and, and our strategy and the way we do it uh, today uh, via open source basically. And I, I learned about you from the Kubescape project, which we're going to get into. We're going to talk a lot about today. But Kubescape was something that I desperately needed a few years ago when I first found it because I needed something to help me 
understand the state of my Kubernetes cluster, and specifically in terms of configuration and security, stuff like that. Because I had that, we've had this thing called Docker Bench for Docker, but I didn't really mm-hmm. know of any tools. And I was also concerned about my YAML and is my YAML implementing proper Kubernetes specifications, yeah. right? Because there's a big difference between it works and it works well and with security, good security defaults, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And that's exactly how we came uh, to Kubescape. We've been working on Kubernetes security for a while. We spoke with so many CISOs on, because you do Kubernetes security, you go to the CISO, because that's kind of like the initial reaction. But the action responses that we always got is that we need to get the development team involved uh, or my DevOps team involved if you're talking about Kubernetes security, because the CISO has been so far away from the actual management and operations of Kubernetes. And, you know, after a few conversations like that, we basically said, okay, let's do it for the developers. Let's go directly to the developers and let's help the developers. And that's where we started to think about open sourcing, because once you want to go to developers, I think transparency makes a lot of difference. And also I think the idea of creating a community and, and getting the community involved and building the thing with you is proven very, very helpful. And then also in terms of priorities, right? You talk about Kubernetes security and you speak about misconfigurations and vulnerabilities and basically the posture of my uh, cluster is the base thing that, that you want to fix and that you want to make sure is okay. Now, security is much wider than that, but you need to start somewhere. And that's what we've decided to do. We started to create an open source project that is aiming at becoming the first end-to-end open source Kubernetes security platform. We are starting with what we call KSVM, Kubernetes Security Posture Management, looking at the vulnerabilities, configuration, role-based access control, excessive privileges you might have in your cluster, because that's the low hanging fruit for the DevOps when they get started. That's the, the most pressing one and the easiest one and the quickest time to value. And that's why we decided to start there. Nice. Well, I like it because anything that helps what I'll call the mere mortals of Kubernetes, the people that don't live and breathe in the API and study the source code and understand every configuration option for all the services. Like that's a, there's a lot of people that really just want to use it as a utility and don't really want to have to get that deep or we don't have the time to get that deep. So yeah, I think we really need tools like this to really help us, you know, make sure that we're not doing it wrong and that we don't end up in the headlines. Yeah, and, and it's it's not only for security, it's also for operations, right? One of the biggest, I would say, controversy around uh, Kubernetes, or one of the biggest claims against Kubernetes is the excessive complexity of the system. And sometimes, uh, I like what you just said, users just want to be users, right? I don't want to be, I want to be a Kubernetes user. I don't want to be a Kubernetes expert. I don't want to know the ins and outs of it. I don't want to be a Kubernetes developer, right? Just want to be a Kubernetes user. And I think that's what companies need to try and come up with, tools that will help users just be users. Yeah. Like, this was all a thing many, many years ago. Like, for a Linux example, 20 years ago, to run Linux, you kind of had to become a little bit of an expert. I mean, you had to understand drivers. (laughs) Yeah. You had to understand, I got to get my wireless driver set up because my wireless NIC doesn't work by default. Or my video, you know, video never worked by default, especially if you had like an NVIDIA graphics card that was fancy. You always had to tweak and customize just to, you know, start. And now 
we're all used to the fact that almost on all hardware, most hardware, majority of hardware, you can just install it and it just works, right? Everything works out of the box and we're we're spoiled by that. And now, and I'm looking forward to the day when we can be spoiled by Kubernetes and these kind of tools are either recommended or come with distributions out of the box. And maybe you'll, there's a partnership in your future with some of these distributions, but there's so many yeah, and they're they all so very, different. Yeah. They all very good. Yeah, definitely. I remember from my days as a developer and, and when we started working with Linux, I don't remember what I was installing, but you used to go over the instruction manual like line by line and make sure that you, you do it, you put the right RPMs in and everything is kind of like NPMs, sorry, I go in. And then I remember I was going line by line and then I got an error message. And when I go to the documentation, it says, if you got this error message, something went wrong, you are now on your own. <laughs> <laughs> so there were very different days today. It's very hard. You can't do a product like that today. And Kubernetes is, yeah. is getting better and better, but I, but I do believe that any tool that creates simplicity and gets to value early and lets you know what's on, what's going on is, is really important. Now, for me, I'm going to guess many people, the way they find Armo, your company, is through the Kubescape open source tool. And that was exactly how I did it, right? I, I stumbled yeah. onto this probably through some site that recommended it, or I probably Googled, you know, Kubernetes security scanners or something like that. Yeah. And this was years ago. But... It's gotten so many new features over the last few years. I'm not sure I can accurately describe all the things it does. Could you give me sort of the elevator pitch of, of why I would want to look at Kubescape? Yes, definitely. You know, one of the things that we love about Kubescape is, first of all, how quickly you can get your first value. We could do it even uh, today. For three to five minutes, you get your first cluster scan. You see what's going on. You know where you failed. And you get this initial value very, very, very quickly. And then you can go deeper and deeper into more functionality. And what we figured out and the way we built Kubescape is based on feedback from the community. So it started with, with mere configuration scanning. And then users came and said, yes, but you can recorrelate the configuration, misconfigurations to vulnerabilities. I have vulnerabilities in my images. Can we correlate them or can we correlate them to the world-based access control? Uh, or can we scan not only in the cluster? Why can't I scan in my in, in my repo? Or when we did vulnerability scanning, why can't we scan them in the in the registry? So it, it grew and grew, and you know how things are. As you grow, you kind of like get a better better vision of uh, uh, of, of your strategy and, and where you want to go. And as I said, we always wanted to go to end to end Kubernetes security. Uh, we believe now that one of the basics for a good open source Kubernetes security platform is being a single pane of glass for all of those, all of those things. So bringing together misconfigurations, vulnerability scanning, role-based access control, and then on top of them create all kind of like we're working on very cool new features like prioritizing the vulnerabilities and the misconfigurations because as you grow, now you have a lot of data and you show a lot of things, but then you, you get to the second problem where you show so many things which is too much. So now you need to narrow it down with some more insight and that's where we are today. So it's kind of like this thing that we go back and forth on. But in general, if you ask me what's my kind of like elevator pitch, one, my, one sentence is if you want to get a single pane of glass platform to look across your Kubernetes clusters and see where you are and apply the right compliance methods to it and be compliant, this is a very easy way to get started 
and to get 80% value with 20% of the time. Nice. I know for me, just simply running a tool and getting back a bunch of results, you know, it's rare on, I would say, someone who's never scanned anything in their cluster or never had an audit or anything like that. It's rare to come back with all greens. So you people out there yeah. don't get your hopes up. I mean, most of the time when I scan a cluster that I built, it's it's got a bunch of warnings and <laughs> And well, so, just by default. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But it's a great learning, even even if it's just a sample cluster, even if you're someone who's just running Docker desktop locally or whatever, I really I would advocate for tools like this because it you learn so much through just the simple like you said, the single pane of glass reporting back on the status of all the things. And I learned I sort of learned by doing it wrong. Doing running scans, right? And, then, and of course, you will hear me on this show talk about linting. I lint all the things. I lint all the YAML. You know, the Docker files are linted. Those tools as well also teach me. And and this, I feel like it does a little bit of linting in the YAML, doesn't it? Doesn't it have some view of what your YAML for your resources are? Yeah, it shows you the YAML. It will show you. So, for example, if you fail in a certain uh, configuration, it will pinpoint you to the actual line where the misconfiguration has happened and will give you a tool tip about you know, what you need to change. And this is something that is also, if you think about our roadmap and where we want to take this platform, being better in remediation is a big part of it. Being able to not only pinpoint you and show you what, what is wrong, maybe also fix it for you, show you a fixed version, allow you to, to create a pull request and commit it directly to your GitHub to, to, to solve it in your... CICD. So those are the things that we are always looking into, into adding into the product. So that, that's one big theme. Remediation is a big theme. Prioritization is another big theme for us where we think the value uh, really lies. So we talk about Kubescape, the, the open source tool, and then how does Armo, the company, relate to that? So we are the company behind. We started Cubescape. If you look at, for example, if you look at the number of contributors for Cubescape, I think today we have about 50 something, 50 to 60 different contributors, about, let's say 20 from them are from Almo. And naturally the Almo contributors are much more meaningful and the number of commits that they do, you know, is much higher, do much significant contributions. But we started the project and with the notion that the way we're going to work is we're going to put this uh, project out there. We're going to make it completely open. We're also contributing it to the CNCF uh, in the next uh, few months. And it's going to be an independent project. And the way we work is that we have uh, our own SaaS version. It's the same Cubescape engine, but we've created a SaaS platform around it that will basically make it easier for you to install, operate, maintain things like single sign-on that, that you would need as a bigger company, things like collaboration between employees and between team members, assigning issues, things like workflows. So those are the things that we wrap around uh, Cubescape uh, in our SaaS platform. And the idea is, is that if you're an organization, you want to install it yourself, you know, it's self-sufficient. You can install it, you can run it, and you can get the same value on your own. If you want the support, if you want you know, not to need to install the backend and to manage Elastic and installing Elastic and configuring Elastic and data retention and all of that, you can work with us uh, in our managed service. And also that, by the way, we work, we feel we need to let you 
experiment and fall in love with the product before we ask you for anything. So we, we have a freemium model where the complete functionality, we don't differentiate, the complete functionality is available for free up to the first 10 worker nodes. So you can use it, you can try it on a small cluster or a few clusters. And then if you decide you like it and you want to use it in a larger scale, that's where we start to, to engage with your commercial. Nice. I didn't know about that free offering. I'm going to have to check that out. So one of the things I think a lot, you, you mentioned when we were talking before the show and we were sort of writing up some of the things over the last few weeks of, about how we're going to do this. You, one of the things you mentioned was sort of the false assumption that DevOps doesn't care about security. And of course, I identify with that because my whole career, I've never been a dedicated security engineer, but I always felt like the security of my solutions and my systems was my job. Like it was, it was not the job of the security team to tell me my stuff was insecure. It was my job to learn from them and to do all that stuff. So I would go out and get security certifications, not because I wanted to have a job in the security team. It was just like, I felt like that was part of what my job was, was to make it safe. And one of the things on, on the Kubescape GitHub repo, it mentions the NSA, CISA, and the MITRE attack frameworks, I think is what you call them. And yeah. I don't think these things are well known. So could you take a minute real quick just to educate our audience about what these things are, these organizations even do, and why does it matter that your scanner uses them? Yes, yes. And thank you for bringing this up. First of all, about the misconception of DevOps not liking security or not caring about security. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a misconception because every DevOps person I speak with, my experience is that they care about security and they know security very well. And I, and I go the, even in one, one step further to say that the level of discussion of security with these guys is, is many times even deeper than the one you have with security officials, let's say, mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it's a technical discussion and not a compliance discussion. And yeah. I think not, I don't want to insult anyone, but I think DevOps people, they don't like security people. It's not that they don't like security. Okay. They don't like <laughs> it feels like a bumper sticker. <laughs> it's like they don't like that someone from the top comes to them and say, you know, do we do this? Do we do that? And usually they say, yeah, we do this. And, and they're usually very much on top of the game. Now, I think where the, I would say the gap that, you, that anyone needs to bridge between security and between DevOps and security people is many times it's a gap of, it's a gap of uh, terminology and language and, and the way they look at the world because the DevOps people, they don't speak the same language as the security people. And that's exactly where NSA and the military attack frameworks uh, come into play because NSA, National Security Agency, they came up with a framework to look at Kubernetes cluster security and they call it uh, the Kubernetes uh, hardening uh, guidelines. And they came up with that. And this is a document that is meant for security and it speaks security language. It puts it into security language in terms of the chapters and the different things you need to check. And the same is the military attack framework. It's something that came up from the attack chain of Lockheed Martin and then was adapted in many different ways to many different environments. And Microsoft actually were the ones who created the military attack framework for Kubernetes. Now, what happens there is that now you take tests and you take controls 
that the DevOps know what they mean. And if you give security, you know, and if you tell security, we looked at the YAML of the deployment and looked at the, the run as user and looked at the number and it was below 1000, the security people, that's not their language. But if you take that language, which is the language that the DevOps are speaking, and you connect it to the NSA guidance, which is the language the security is speaking, this is the magic. That's how you help them communicate. And that's how you help developers basically assure that the cluster is secure, but also communicate it in a very easy way in a way that the security will understand. If you go a little bit again to what DevOps hate, they hate compliance, right? They hate, you know, restrictions. Nobody likes restrictions. And nobody likes to get assigned like boring task of checking this and checking that. And what Cubescape is able to do is to give them a very easy way to export that, give it to the security and, and bridge that gap of compliance versus actual technology security. Nice. And Mitre is the company that also manages the vulnerability database, right? Yes. Yes. So they're kind yeah, of, they're, they're kind of experts. Yeah, yeah. They're, of course, they're very well known. We are using their database, of course, as part of our vulnerability scanning. Yeah. There are a lot of initiatives right now that are taking place. Uh, my director of engineering caught him just at the speech about that in the DevOps conferences, where y you want to create databases which are not just vulnerabilities. That they take vulnerabilities and they connect them to misconfigurations and to, to relevancy and to which packages really actually go to memory and, and those type of elements. But misconfigurations are, are, are the first one that I could think about because you can think about an, a, a vulnerability that requires running its route as, you know, in order to be exploited. So right. actually by fixing the misconfiguration, you can actually many times prevent the vulnerability. So those are relations that do not exist in vulnerability databases. And it's up to us as a community to kind of bring them together and put them into practice. Right. And of course, like these buzzwords, I mean, they're not buzzwords, but the buzzwords of the CISA and the MITRE stuff, like that also resonates with the security team because a lot of times those are checkboxes for them, right? Like to have some sort of NSA scan, NSA guidance scan done on infrastructure. Because this, this isn't just for Kubernetes. For those that aren't aware of these kind of frameworks, they're actually very common. We've had them for Docker. We've had them for Linux. We've had them for all sorts of infrastructure over the years, for decades now, where they come out with guidance, particularly NSA, other U.S. government-based entities that come out with these frameworks. And often they're very hard. They're not actually implementation details. Usually they're very esoteric, and you end up needing a tool like Kubescape to, to actually figure out if you're following the guidance from these things. So a lot of times, in my experience, when I go to a security team and I say, hey, look, I know you have this audit requirement for an NSA at, at different levels of the infrastructure. There might be a networking one. There, you know, there might be a server-based one, whatever. And then back in the day, this is talking 15, 20 years ago, we would have to do it for like Active Directory and Windows scans. Yeah, yeah. So we would have to do this stuff on different levels of infrastructure. So they might not even be aware that this stuff is, is there for Kubernetes. And the, us as DevOps and developer people can just take this to them and say, hey, look, I already got this tool. I've run it. Here's what it reports. I've got work to do. But it, that even if you have work to do, I think that that establishes trust with your security team because it shows them 
if you don't already have that strong relationship, it shows them that you care about the security and you want to be open about the security of your solutions to them. Because a lot of times you're like you're saying that that back and forth between us and the security team might not always be a two way open channel. And I always try to bridge that and try to establish that relationships by saying, hey, I've been running this stuff and I want you to know the results and I want you to help me keep track of it because that's what they're good at, right? They're good at keeping track of things, <laughs> making sure that stuff is happening. Exactly. This is like music to my ears, right? I mean, I wish all these developers were thinking exactly like you, but I think it's also the right thing to do, right? When you collaborate with anyone, it's good to align on the same terminology. It's good to, it's good to be proactive. It's good to show them that you're on top of your game in their domain. So it is super, super important. And also, actually, even if you think about compliance and you think about NSA guidance and security guidance, many, many times the guidance is not to fix. The mm. guidance is to know what's going on. Like ju just knowing that you have this issue or just knowing or reviewing. So let me give you an example. There is a guidance, right? There is a guidance to minimize the users that you give admin access to. You know, very it, it's probably a best practice in any system but also in Kubernetes. Now, as a tool on Kubescape or, or as an auditor, no one knows who really needs to have admin access to your system. But what it can do, it can show you all the users that have and ask you, are these really the ones you need to have or can we eliminate it? And, and just looking at that gives you a lot of information as, as a user and gives you much more security. And that's actually what the regulator wants you to do. Just look at it and see that it is okay. And, and, and also if it's okay, that's also a lot of value to know and to mark it because now you create a baseline and if something changes, we know to tell you and we can, we know to tell you automatically. So this is part of the best practice to share and to know and to understand what's going on in your environment. Yeah. This is also where I advocate for a GitOps style approach for those of you that haven't seen the thousand times that we talked about GitOps, but essentially the idea is that your developers and possibly even your admins don't have direct access to the cluster, that if they're wanting to change anything, they have to put their YAML in a repo and use a tool exactly. like Argo or Flux to implement that. Mm -hmm. Because then that means that you now have this Git log as the record of, oh, I added so-and-so as an admin. They essentially have root. And you can see when that happened and who gave the permissions and who authorized it in the PR. And then developers don't have to learn another yet another tool for just controlling the change in Kubernetes. So anyway, just a little PSA there for people. I got to get on my soapbox and say, get ops the thing. You know, so, it's a, yeah, it's a big theme. And uh, well, I think it's hard for some people to, to get started with mm. because it's a big uh, task. But once you do it and once it starts running, it makes a lot of things much, much easier. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely removes a lot of burden around having local access on your machine to clusters and worrying about how do you have access? Do you have to get on a VPN? Do you have the right certificate? Yeah. It's, it, I think it, you're, you're saying it's a little bit of work up front. Once you've done it a couple of times, you get really used to it. You sort of have your own, because really all this stuff is just YAML anyway. So whether it's your, yeah. whether you're implementing Argo or your own applications or backups, whatever, it's all YAML. You just steal from another repo you have, copy it over, clone it, and then change it a little bit. And now you have a new cluster with all the same setup. So I'd say, yeah, the first time or maybe two are really the hard part. And then once you've learned it, you're good to go. So 
Just one thing about GitOps, which is super important. One of the things uh, we were thinking about when we were thinking about Cubescape is, of course, to make it useful for developers. One of the things you can do, you can actually create a GitHub action or you can integrate a Cubescape into your uh, GitOps. And as the commit is done, to get alerted against the NSA, against the different frameworks or your own framework, if a YAML that is being pushed into your GitOps or a change to your GitOps actually breaks the policy of your organization or your compliance to, to, to the NSA or CIS or any of those. Uh, yeah, yeah. How does resource, for Kubescape, how does resources consume while running on Kubernetes environments? Does it run, so that's why I guess one question, and the other one is how does it run or support cloud and on-prem and hybrid flat platforms on Kubernetes? Yeah, so the answer is that it is very flexible. You can choose how to run Kubescape. One way is to run it as a CLI tool on your own machine or any machine uh, that has access via API to the cluster. It will just uh, run through the cluster API and give you the report. It's the quickest way to do it. But another way to do it, which is more extensive, starts to give you to save the history as well and show you drifts in your future, is to basically use, it's not an operator, but it's like an operator, basically install a couple of pods uh, in our namespace, the Kubescape namespace in your cluster. It will run there and it will send the results either to Prometheus if you're using the open source or to our open uh, to our SaaS. If you're using the SaaS platform, you can see everything there. Nice. So usually people get to, like, like just like you, uh, they get to, uh, to Kubescape. And usually they get to the GitHub page and they learn about the project and they want to get started. There's a lot of information here. As I said, we have about, uh, yeah, like 63 contributors to date. We are looking uh, for contributors. If you, if you would like to join a growing open source project as a contributor and even a maintainer, and we are very much open to it. We will give you everything you need to get started. That we, we have in our issues and the NPRs, they're all tagged uh, around which are the easiest place to get started and stuff like that. So hopefully it's quite easy to get started. You get started, you can start uh, with the small things and then call for, go forward from there. And we, are, we would really appreciate it. We have this Cubescape uh, swag store. When you can, uh, you know, as you contribute more to our project, we will give you points and you can use those points to actually buy Cubescape merchandise, you know, like t-shirts, hats, stickers, and the, the stickers are very, very popular. So this is just part of being a developer and, and we, we just feel it's cool to give yeah. a point yeah. to let people do that. So that's, that's a nice, just that's so a nice deserve, program. You know, join us. It's kind of putting your money where your mouth is at. It's like, we're not just asking for your free contributions for open source, but we'll also give you some swag along the way. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, exactly. And then, and the thing about this swag store is like, it's just easy. You know, we're not going to just go and figure it out. You don't send us an email, just start working. And it, it, it's just very easy and, 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 and super in my mind. Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features, and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio-only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube Live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. We have a question yeah. how compatible Kubescape is with storage, networking tools, plugins, which are attached to Kubernetes clusters like Linkerd, Rook, et cetera. Yeah. So it will, uh, Kubescape will treat them 
as pods, okay? And it will scan them that, that just like any other pod, just like it did with the cube system. So that, that's the way it will treat them. So it's looking for things like privilege mode, any sort of security settings that are maybe not recommended defaults, stuff like that. Yes. Just one more uh, thing. Another very popular uh, control is application credential and configuration files. Basically identifying if we have secrets, unencrypted secrets in the configuration files. This is something which is quite popular, uh, allow privilege escalation, etc. And another thing that we find very, very useful to our users is the RPAC visualizer, the role-based access control visualizer. This is something that came directly from the community asking for it. And whenever we go to a new cluster and whenever a user sees this map for the first time, they don't believe that they have so many roles in the whole pipeline <laughs> in their environment. You know, we usually think, yeah, I probably have like five different roles. But you just by default, the GKE will put like 15 roles and any operator you install uh, puts its own role, right? We do it as well, right? You put Cubescape, Cubescape will create a role for itself. And usually these things stack up quite significantly and create a mess and that, that, that's quite expen- expensive. So we created this to help you visualize and understand what's going on in your system. And if you use it just like that, with the full visualization, because it is so complex, you can zoom in and see different things, but it is still a quite complex. So what we did, we created ability with three ways to investigate basically and to get better understanding of what's going on. Another question, can we customize or refine the scans according to project names or by namespace inventory? Yes. So what you can do is you can create a custom configuration you can create what we call a customize your own framework. And basically you can create a framework and for anything like for a specific namespace or for a specific cluster and then run it on that cluster. So, so, so it's quite easy to do. You, you enter the framework name, you put some kind of description and then you choose the controls that you want to attach to that framework. I hope it, it, it answers the questions. Another way to use the frameworks is you sometimes when you want to enforce something. So for example, let's say I want to create a GitHub action that will basically not allow a developer to, to commit a, a YAML into the GitHub with excessive privileges. Let's mm. say with the runner's privilege equal, equals true. I can create a framework with that control or a few of those controls, put it as a GitHub action and use the result of that, of that scan to reject the commit. So that's mm. another way use uh, the frameworks. Yeah, that's nice. I'm all about a GitHub action. That's my platform of choice for any of the automation. So that that makes me interested. Yeah, I love GitHub <laughs> actions. It's just so practical. Yeah, this Kubescape's operator supports scanning container images, which we haven't talked a lot about, but you have mentioned several times. Does it mm-hmm. support scanning container images of the deployment? And can Kubescape prevent that deployment if there is a critical or high vulnerability? Okay, that's a very good question. So the first answer is yes. We have the image scanning, which basically scans all of the images in your clusters, shows you the number of critical, high and medium vulnerabilities in the cluster. You can actually filter it by the number of, uh, by only those who have fixes, and also RCEs, RCRs, remote code executions, which we feel are even more critical because they, uh, if it's open to the internet, it can be exploited remotely. And, and you have all of that. And then what you can do, you can actually choose to add actually registry scanning. So to, to scan that image 
in the registry when it gets to the registry before it gets deployed. And as of policies, you can create policies that will alert you and add them to your GitOps. At this point today, we don't have an admission controller that will look at that and prevent it, but this is something that we will probably add in the near future. Yeah, I was kind of thinking to myself while you were talking about it, how you would do that, because like to me, I'm thinking, okay, normally if I'm doing what I would call proper GitOps approaches, I would have a YAML file somewhere. Maybe it's a customized, maybe it's a Helm chart, and I'm updating the mm-hmm. image version. And that repo, while maybe being scanned, doesn't actually contain the images necessarily. So how would it know to scan those images? Yeah. So that, but that's an interesting, yeah. yeah, The mission controller, the mission controller would be the last, you know, the final step, I suppose. Maybe the last step, but the mission controller is also in some cases a little can be considered intrusive, and in some cases it might be considered a little bit too late. What you can do is because we have this code section, you can attach your repositories. It can attach that repository that you just spoken about that has the YAMLs and you can have your registries scanned on an ongoing basis. And then what you can do, you can create a control, let's say in your GitHub, in your Git options, that will basically look back into the registry scanning that we have into the image and see if it has critical vulnerability, for example, and alert you that you're using an image. Like basically this is where the connection is happening between the repository and the registry. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. It's like you're saying, it's almost it almost could be two steps because an emission controller that requires the image to have, let's say, no critical or high vulnerabilities or whatever, to me, that kind of implies now that my emission controller is now kicking off an image scan. If it doesn't exist, that could be a problem, that exactly. could be delayed. Exactly. So yeah, I kind of want it earlier. This is actually, to me, the argument for GitOps because I don't want people directly applying resources to my cluster. I want them to go through a standard PR process. And I honestly, in all of the clients over the last two years that I've worked with, all the projects I've been on, our goal has always been that the PR process for changing the manifest YAML, what you know, that is where we're changing the image versions and the image names mm-hmm. themselves or whatever. And th- those PRs are running all the GitHub actions or whatever your CI tool is. And that's what's telling us, hey, this has different vulnerabilities. This this one has additional vulnerabilities. This this has not just image vulnerabilities, but maybe I'm doing like code QL or code scanning for quality of code. And I'm doing all that stuff in the PR and that all happens before Kubernetes is ever talked to. Like that's really the whole shift left focus of what we're trying to get out of last second, because you know, that's the problem, right? In this case, the security team could have approved it. Everybody, you know, if we were just relying on an admission controller, all of a sudden now where everything's happening, and then finally on the day we think we're launching this new update, it's denied by the cluster and we're surprised because we didn't exactly. scan ahead of time. And that's what we try to prevent, right? Like, But I could also see like paranoid teams, appropriately paranoid, that want that emission, that want that final blockage <laughs> just to it's, absolutely prevent. It, it, it's again a little bit of a, of a different mindset between mm-hmm. the DevOps mindset and the security mindset, right? A security engineer or a security architect, or I don't know, someone who, who think, who's, where, where security is the main thing for them, they will say, okay, give me a solution that would just prevent anything privileged going into my cluster, you know, put a gate. Say security yeah. people that cook in gates, right? Put a gate uh, and the mission controller is exactly that. Where more of a, like a DevOps, CICD, continuous, continuous integration, GitOps person would think, okay, how do I put it into my process 
in order to uh, to prevent it earlier. Now, you, you know, eventually you might need both because the security person will just not believe that your GitOps is good enough to prevent it. Yeah. And, you know, it will, it will want that gate. So that's a balance that you're going to need to keep. Just one question I had. Can you make those scans recurring, like once every day yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can choose as a user by default, by the way, it will do it once a day. Hmm. That's kind of like the default configuration. It's a basic run job, but you can edit that either via the UI or via, you know, deploying another YAML for the corn job. And that's part of the challenge of a lot of this. There's These tools are making it so much better than we used to have, but there's this subtle complexity because... N- none of this code is static, right? So we, we, you and I will probably have a conversation then where we say, well, this is all, you know, we can have the GitOps approach, we can have the remission controller, but that's just day one. So your code goes into the server and let's say it's only updated once a month. Well, over that month, there's new vulnerabilities and that code may yeah. get less secure. Well, it will get less secure over time. And having something like this where it's scanning the actual clusters daily or whatever will help you understand that, oh, I actually have code that was fine when we ran it, when we launched it, but now there's dependencies that have new vulnerabilities I didn't know about. And a lot of times our GitOps processes won't cover for that. So this is a great example of how tools like this that are constantly reevaluating over time, not just when it's first created. That's actually pretty important to a lot of teams. And it's subtly missed. Like a lot of people don't realize that this is a, that's a gap. They have. Uh, I'll give you an even more simple example, uh, if I may, which is, let's say you didn't change anything in your code, but but vulnerabilities get found every day. So when you scanned the image a week ago, the same Mm. image, same code, you didn't touch it. You scan it again after a month, it has critical vulnerability. It also read it a month ago, but just no one knew about it back then. (laughs) That's right. so yeah, this is another thing that comes over time. The actual vulnerability database, you know, we talked about the midway database. The database itself is dynamic and changes every day. So that's yeah. another thing to take into consideration. It's always evolving. Basically, even if we didn't change any of our software, we're still going to have work to do. <laughs> Which <laughs> <Exactly>. is, <laughs> there's going to be new work. Yeah. 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 Okay. So in the Armo tool, when you scan repositories, are you scanning the YAML? of that repository? What are you scanning in that repository? YAML is hell and it depends on what's in the inventory, but then we support, currently we support Helms and YAMLs. Okay. So you're not like doing a package JSON scan or, you know. No, no, yeah. not at this yeah. point. Not yeah. So that's a code scanning tool, not necessarily. Exactly. What that's, talk- kind yeah. like more for, that's more for Snake. They, should, yeah. they have their own business. That's right. That's a great question. This has been great because I, I was very curious about this tool and particularly the platform. And you said free to sign up for 10 nodes, is that right? Yes, after 10 Walker nodes. Yeah, awesome. Look for my sign up soon. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have, to <laughs> have it for my for my demos and you know, I mean, I don't have any really large projects of my own, but <laughs> I do advise customers and clients a lot. So I at least wanna know what the tools, and I have, I actually have a couple of projects right now where they're just getting started with Kubernetes and they're trying to figure out exactly where they need certain scans and certain audits and they are they're a financial institution so they're very concerned about that stuff so i know that they already run kubescape in their github actions against the yaml i don't think they Mm -hmm. run it against the clusters yet. yeah probably not yeah 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 very cool well 
This has been great. Thank you so much for being on the show. People can get started by going to your site. We're talking about armosec.io, right? And again, yeah. also contributors, and uh, you want to join the community, want to start contributing, join our GitHub. You can see the, there's a lot of activity going on there. We have a Discord channel, super active. You know your Discord is very active when your users are starting to answer questions on, of, of other users and you're not answering them yourself. So it's really happening. So join the conversation there. Anyone who wants to join, I'm sure you'll find the answers you need. I love Discord. It's my favorite community platform. And that's great that you have a nice community growing there. Well, thank you so much, Shali, for being on the show for all the way from across the pond. Sorry <laughs> we couldn't meet up when I was over there a couple of months ago. Didn't get to tour all of Europe <laughs> and the Middle East and everywhere. But that's another trip we'll have to make. So yeah. this will be great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.